0: So we have been talking about influencers, and the series is all about learning to be a person of influence for Jesus by looking at different people throughout Scripture and how they were an influence for the Lord and, like, gleaning what we can learn from their lives. And so last semester we we started in the book of Genesis and did Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob and talked about um, the very, like, founding fathers of Judaism and then Christianity, and then this semester, Matt spent the past two weeks talking about Moses. Do y'all like those messages where you challenged about Moses when we talked about abiding? So tonight, I get the big shoes to fill of, like, standing in Matt's shoes and teaching, and it's kind of appropriate because I'm talking about the guy who had to fill Moses' shoes. The guy who had to come behind Moses, and and go with me for a second, imagine that you have been with the people of Israel, you have been traveling, wandering in the desert for 40 years, and Moses says, you know, I'm not going to go into the promised land, but God's going to send you in, and he's raising up a new leader, and it's going to be you. How would you feel? Right? Like, Moses is a tough act to follow. And I, I just want you guys to kind of like get in the headspace of, of this is where Joshua was. Like, Moses is a tough act to follow. He has done so many things. The people have, have followed him through the desert and out of Egypt, and then through the desert, right? And and then Moses is like, I'm not gonna go in the promised land. And like instead, Joshua, you're gonna lead the people. And I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation where you stepped into leadership after someone else who had, who had gone before you and felt like, man, those are some big shoes to fill. But I bet Joshua felt like, these are some big shoes to fill. I don't know, um, I was thinking about this and I was like, man, when in my life have I felt like this? And as, as I was processing it, so Matt and I, we are the directors of Chi Alpha Memphis, right? But like, we didn't come into the world born as like adults that were directors. Of a Kaiyafa program, right? Like, like we were kids, and then we grew up um, into young adults, like you guys. We went to college. We actually went to UT Knoxville for undergrad, and we got involved in Chi Alpha under a dude named Chuck Lester, Pastor Chuck Lester. He's still around. If you go to Tennessee Breakaway, which we'll hear about, you'll get to meet the legend himself, Pastor Chuck. Right? We came up under Pastor Chuck. And then after we graduated from undergrad, we continued to stay. We were on staff and we served under Pastor Chuck. And you guys, I got to be honest. There were days that I was like, man, Pastor Chuck, I got ideas. Like, man, Pastor Chuck, let me do more. Man, Pastor Chuck, like, I want to be in charge of that. or I want to speak on that. Or I want to lead in that capacity. And y'all, like, I was ambitious, right? Like, I was like, I can do it, Pastor Chuck, let me do it. And, and I was so hungry to do it. And then the Lord saw fit to send Matt and Jackie to Memphis, to the University of Memphis. And like you can ask him, the first week we were on campus and it was Matt and I as directors and there was nobody. We didn't have the awesomeness of Chris and Derek and Natalie to help us. We didn't have any student leaders. Like we stepped on the campus and it was Matt and Jackie and that was it. And we were supposed to meet some students, lead them to Christ and start at Kai Alpha. And I went home after the first week And in tears, I was like, I want to go back to Pastor Chuck, right? Because I I did not realize, as I was serving under him, kind of that umbrella leadership that, like, he just absorbed things. You guys, like, somebody gets angry at the Ministry of Chi at the University of Tennessee. Matt and I did not deal with it. Those mamas did not call us. When you wanted to go on a trip, and somebody's dad was like, well, that sounds weird, and I'm going to check you out, and I'm going to ask you all the questions, like, chucked out with that. I didn't even know that was a thing that happens. It's a thing that happens. And you know, bless them. If your parents are worried you want to go on a trip, let them call me. Let them call Matt. But I didn't even know that, like, parents bothered college pastors, right? Like, I had no idea. And it's like 101 things I did not know But Pastor Chuck had just led in such a way that, like, he did it, and he did it well, and he didn't complain about it. And, like, we didn't even know. So I step into leadership, and I'm like, I don't want these shoes. I want to give them back and, like, go back to, to Knoxville and keep serving because it was much more comfortable to lead or to to be led than to lead. That's what I'm trying to say. Words are hard, y'all. It's much more comfortable to be led than to lead. And so I just think of all of that as we go to talk about Joshua. Man, he had some big shoes to fill. Um, and so... We're going to look at his life, and we're not going to jump right into the book that bears his name, right? There's a whole book in the Bible called Joshua. You can read his story, but I think we're going to start a little bit with, like, where he and Moses are in the same place to see why on earth would God choose him to be the next person. And, like, if you read Moses' story, and then you keep going, you read the book of Joshua— it almost puts him up like a second Moses. Like the stories parallel really closely um, where, you know, Moses led the Israelites out, you know, and they crossed the Red Sea. Then Joshua, like, leads the people. They again cross the sea. Like, I mean, it's like there's parallels. And basically, I mean, the Bible makes him like another Moses. That's the way the story reads. Um But like, why on earth was this the guy that was chosen? There's a whole nation of people been wandering around the desert for 40 years, right? And out of all of those people, why Joshua? And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. You guys, there's so many interesting things we could learn about him. We could see him as he first appears in the battle against the Amalekites when the Lord uses him as Moses' general to fight them and win. We could talk about the time that Moses sent he and Caleb and ten other guys into the promised land as spies to see what it was. And then ten other guys came back and they were like, it's great, but scary. And and really it was Caleb and Joshua were the only two that were like, no, the Lord will give us victory. And, and so that caused the people to panic. Then they got to wander for a really long time, right? We could talk about that. We could talk about how the Lord encouraged Joshua to be strong and courageous as he stepped into his new leadership role in Joshua 1, which honestly is what I thought this message would be about. Until I read his whole life and I was like, what's the central point of Joshua? And I don't think it should just be strong and courageous. Just like a little fun thing. If if you've read those verses, they're great. But, like, God was saying, be strong and courageous to a dude that was already strong and courageous. He was more, like, affirming who he already was, not speaking something that wasn't into existence, which is just super cool. Um, we could talk about one of the most famous stories, in Joshua. I don't know if you guys are ever in the Veggie Tales. <laughs> yeah. I love some Veggie Tales. This is my favorite one, right? Josh and the Big Wall. It's actually a story in the Bible, right? But it's like, so Joshua leads the people... And they march around the walls of Jericho for seven days. And on the seventh day, they march around it seven times. So they're really getting their steps in that day, and they give a big shout, and the walls fall. Right? We could focus on that. So many things we could focus on. But I think tonight what we really need to focus on is just what made him the guy that God chose to come after Moses. Because influencers, right? Like what made him different? What made him that person of influence? When like the whole rest of the nation, none of it wasn't them, right? Um, I don't think it was just that he was Moses' right-hand guy. Like we read the story of Moses and certainly Joshua comes up again and again as like a general and an aide that works alongside him. But I think there's something more. And so we're going to look at scripture and we're going to really jump right back in where we were last week in Exodus 33. We're going to jump back into that same passage, but instead of looking at Moses, we're going to look at Joshua and see what made him special. So Exodus 33, verse 7, it says this. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So this is mostly about Moses, but I think it tells us something really, really important about Joshua, right? I think it's the key to who Joshua was and why God chose him to fill Moses' shoes, and it becomes really clear in this verse, because here's the thing. It was Moses that God had called. It was Moses that God was speaking to at this tent face-to-face, right? That's what we read. Yet, there's Joshua, Not invited, not the one that God's speaking directly to, yet we see him, instead of hanging back at his own tent, getting as close as he possibly can. And then even when Moses leaves, like even when the pastor leaves and is done, right, Joshua stays there. Like he just stays there at the tent. And like this is a picture of a dude that is getting as close to God as he possibly can. He's not satisfied with being like the rest of the people that like, when God speaks, they're afraid and they hang back and they're like, yo, Moses, you intercede for us. right?" We talked about that last week. But instead of that, Joshua's like, man, I'm not God's man, I'm not the one he's speaking to, but I'm going to get as close as I possibly can. And I think that's really, really important. I think that's the key to the, the whole thing about Joshua, the whole key to who he is. Um. So like... He he would get as close as possibly could. Another incident in Joshua's life helps us understand this more. At some point, the people of Israel um, they're following the Lord, and they were scared because the Lord appeared. They were like, "That's intimidating. That's that's a lot." There was like thunder and lightning, and they were like, "Whoa, Moses! Like you you talk to the Lord. We'll stay over here. You talk to him for us, right?" And so the Lord called um, Moses in Exodus 24 to go up on the mountain, and he was going to speak to him. Next is this 24, 1 and 2, it says this, Then the Lord instructed Moses, Come up here to me and bring along Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near, and none of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. Then if we go down to verse 12, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain, Stay there and I'll give you the tablets of stone on which I have inscribed the instructions and commands so you can teach the people. So Moses and his assistant Joshua set out. Moses climbed up the mountain of God. Like, and so in this we read, the Lord's like, only Moses. Well, who goes with Moses? Right? And if we keep reading, it's like, so the elders stop. Like, the people are at the bottom of the mountain. The elders stop, and Moses and Joshua go up a little further, and then Moses goes up to the top. But Joshua is, again, going as close as he possibly can. He's like, man, God may not call me up to the top of the mountain with with Moses, but I'm going to get as close as I possibly can until I have to stop. And, like, I'm just going to keep going until I can't go anymore. I want to be close to God. And I think that's, like... These two incidents, and they're early in Joshua's life, right? This is like his Moses' young aide. So this is not when he's like an older guy. Early in Joshua's life, before he becomes the leader, the key to why he's chosen to take Moses' place is that he's a man with a heart that would ultimately want God more than to be a leader. Want God maybe even more than... To, to love the people, he just had a heart that he's like, man, I just want God. Like, I just want God, I want to be as close to him as I can, I want as much of him as I can get, right? And so God saw this, and like, ultimately, that's the kind of heart he can use to lead the people after him, right? He can use the heart that's like, man, I just want God. God sees that in you, and he's like, man, I can do something with that. Right? When we have a heart that we're like, well, I want to be really important before people. God's like, uh, you know, okay, maybe. But like, when we have a heart that's just for the Lord, God's like, man, I can, I can do something with that. I can really use that. Um, so while everyone else was keeping their distance from God, Joshua was getting as close as he possibly could. And when everybody else hung back, Joshua pressed in to know God more and more. Um, I really like this writer, A.W. Tozer, and um, he once said we can have as much of God as we want. Here's the the full quote. It's from his book, The Divine Conquest. He says, before we can be filled with the spirit, the desire to be filled must be all-consuming. It must be, for the time, the biggest thing in the life, so, so cute, so intrusive, as to crowd out everything else. The degree of fullness in any life accords perfectly with the intensity of true desire. We have as much of God as we actually want. And I think that's really important for us to understand. I think Tozer makes clear what it seems that Joshua already knew. Joshua had one desire, and it was the Lord. And if we desire God, we can know him more and more. right? If we, if we desire God, we can keep getting closer. We can keep pursuing. We can keep going deeper into the things of God. And if we don't want God, we're only going to have as much of him as we want. Y'all, there's so many times in my life that that I've been like, God, where are you? God, where are you in this situation? And the Lord's like, I'm right here. But, like, you're not talking to me. You're trying to solve it on your own. You're telling me that, you know, when you pray, you're saying, hey, I want you to answer my prayer in this way, on this day, at this time, And this, you know. Anyway, have y'all ever done that? Like, you pray and you're like... God, I need you. I need you to move in this situation, and I'm gonna need you to use this individual, and I'm gonna need you to do it at exactly this, this hour, right? Like it's like, I'm I'm being God, telling God how to do his job. And and like when I'm in that place, it's like, do I really want God? No, I really want Jackie's way, right? But like when we come to a place where we just want God, man, we can know him more and more and more. So the question is, how much of God do you want? How much of God do you want? Why did God choose Joshua? It wasn't because he wanted to be a great leader. It wasn't because he loved the people like we see um, with Moses in the intercession. We, we honestly don't really see that early on with him. But Joshua simply wanted God. He embodied the type of person God desired each and every Israelite to become. And he embodies the type of person that God desires he would be. He was hungry for God, his desire was for God, and he spent his entire life living faithfully to that end. So like we said earlier, there's some awesome stories from the life of Joshua, and you can go read about them. I encourage you to go read about them, right? Like, get your Bible. The book's called Joshua. Like, you can you can read, but as you do, remember that they all stemmed from the fact that, that this man was deeply committed to knowing God and getting as close to the Lord as he possibly could get and staying there, right? God used him in the ways he did because he was committed to God and he was committed to staying close to God. Um, Like all of these things he did, becoming Moses' successor, winning the battles like Jericho, finally entering the promised land, which is like what they've been trying to do for a really long time, right? These are all things he did, But I believe that God used him like this because his one desire was to have more of God. So how much of God do you want? You guys, Jesus made it so that we don't need an intercessor. We don't need Moses to go and meet with God for us. Because of Jesus, what he did when he lived his perfect life, and then he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose again three days later, he made it possible that each and every one of us can speak to God face-to-face as, as a friend, like it says Moses did. Every single one of us can enter the presence of God. We can talk to him. We can know him intimately through what Christ has done. And so each and every one of us have that opportunity that comes through like surrendering our lives to him and knowing Jesus is Lord and Savior. Right, but and when we come and we put our faith in Christ and what he did on the cross and we say, Jesus, I trust you as my Lord and Savior, right? Then we have the opportunity to know God, to come into his presence to speak to him. We don't even have to hang back outside the tent. Like we can go full on into the presence of God and speak to him. And sometimes, you know, in our culture, I kind of hate the term, but like fire insurance. Right, like sometimes in our culture and church culture, we get really good at we're like, we'll pray the prayer, like pray the sinner's prayer, and make sure that like when you die, you're gonna go to heaven. But then we leave it there. And you guys, I just think that's like that's like a really sad, apathetic form of Christianity, to just pray and be like, well, I'm not gonna go to hell, so I'm good. But God, I'm gonna live my life my way, and then like, you know, at the end, we'll be good though, right? Like it's a really apathetic form of Christianity, when instead we have Jesus who's made a way for us to enter the presence of God and know him more and more and more and I can spend my life, not when I get to heaven, but I can start now just knowing God, getting in his word, experiencing his presence and that starts now and I can have as much of him as I want if I'll just pursue it. Man, like one of those sounds like, uh, one of those is incredible. Like it is the most incredible journey You will ever take is is the most fascinating thing like loving jesus and really pursuing him with your life y'all it's never boring it may not be easy some days but it's never boring right and um so we're going to look at one more scripture this is from the very end of joshua's life we looked at the beginning and saw that he was trying to get close closer and closer to god this is from the very end of his life and we can see that joshua never changed like a lot of times we we hear of young people and they're excited and then like they, they get going and some passion, right? And then at some point it gets hard and they like give it up or, or they're not as passionate as they once were. Man, the cool thing about Joshua is like we have this from the very end of his life when he addresses the people. This is like right before he dies and like the dude has not changed. He's like still the same guy he's been through his entire life. Life. So he's addressing the people, reminding them of all that God has done for them throughout the lifetimes of Moses and himself and how he's brought them in to the promised land, out of slavery in Egypt and through the desert. And this is what he says at the end of it all, at the end of his life in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, he says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors, your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or would you, will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family. We will serve the Lord. So Joshua stands before the people at the end of his life. He has faithfully served the Lord. And he puts this challenge to them. He says, choose whom you will serve. Choose. Ask by anybody else, this probably would have been offensive. Right? But Joshua had been there. He was there when the spies doubted and wanted to run back to Egypt. And he and Caleb alone tried to persuade the people that God was able to do what he promised. That he was faithful. He was there when Moses again and again interceded for the people. When they turned their hearts from God and angered him. He was there when Moses came down from the mountain and the people worshipped the golden calf. He was there after Jericho when Achan stole from the Lord and they were defeated in the battle against that tiny city of Ai and the Lord was angry. He was there again and again and again as the people chose to disobey God and chase after what they wanted instead of wanting to please the Lord. And through it all, through all of that, he faithfully served the Lord. How? Like how? When you're surrounded by people that are just constantly going the other way, and y'all, I think this is totally relevant because I remember what it was to be an undergrad in college, like trying to serve the Lord, surrounded by like friends and roommates that they're not—they're not trying to, right? Like I think it's totally relevant. But how did he do it? It's this: he had made up his mind long ago; he chose to serve the Lord. This question he asked them, he has the the credentials to ask this question because he did it himself. He says, who are you going to serve? As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. He made his mind up when he was young that he was going to get as close to God as he could. And then he stayed there and he lived his whole life on that trajectory. He said, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. He knew that he wanted more of God than anything else in this world, and he lived his entire life according to that choice. So here's the challenge from Joshua to you, right? Choose today. Who are you going to serve? We can't be a person of real influence if we don't even know what we stand for. Like you can't lead people if you don't know where you're going. You really can't. You can be both going like, to end up lost. Or like Jesus said, if a blind person leads, a blind person will fall in a ditch. right? Um, we can't lead if we don't know where we're going. So choose who you're going to serve. Or simply put, how much of God do you want? How much of God do you want? And, and my prayer really is that we we wouldn't hear that and we would just like be like, yeah, I need to want more of God and move on. But that we really kind of like sit with it for a few minutes, right? Um, so we're going to respond a little different tonight. First, if y'all would just stand, because we've been sitting a long time. I don't know about you guys. But sometimes when I sit for a really long time, my brain turns off. So I'm going to make you stand, maybe your brain will turn back on. And if it's not off, just... Praise the Lord, congratulations, you're not ADHD like me, right? We're going to stand. Right? And so there's kind of like two things. The first thing is like, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, like that needs to happen, right? For you to choose that like, hey, Jesus, I'm going to serve you with my life. Right? And so if you have not made that choice, you guys, there's nothing more important. There's not a more important decision that you will ever make in the history of your life than to serve Jesus. And so if you've not decided that, I encourage you to decide that tonight, right? And then the second thing is just to sit with the Lord and say, God, I want to want more of you. I want to want more of you. Um, So we're going to do it like this. I'm going to invite the staff to come. And if you want to pray with somebody, you can pray with them. Otherwise, we're just going to sing that song again. Um, that we ended with, nothing else. And the altar's just open. Like, let's just take, like, four or five minutes and, like, seek the Lord, right? And so, like, maybe that's you in your seat. Maybe that's you want to come kneel down and, and pray. And maybe that's when you want to pray with, like, Matt or Natalie or somebody. Um, but, like, let's just take a few moments and really sit with that. Like, how much of God do I want? Right? Because I I don't think... We really can get anywhere until we honestly answer that question and let God move in our lives. Um, So God, search our hearts tonight. Help us to choose to be people that will pursue you. No matter what our friends do, no matter what our family does, no matter what culture tells us, help us to choose you, Jesus.